Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. And the Green Bay Packers returned from their bye week and were able to get a division victory, uh, an ugly one as it might have been, as emphasized by the disgusting 22-9 final score. But nonetheless, the Green Bay Packers were able to win, and uh, we'll analyze that. Lots of things that can or cannot be taken from this win. Um, so we'll talk about that, and also uh, we're going to have a crossfire segment, uh, which we haven't had for a while, so uh, we'll have that to look forward to as well. With that, I'm going to bring Matt in here, and Matt, were you as grossed out by 22-9 to 9 as I was? Yeah, I mean, not only is the score gross, but what led up to it was pretty bad, too. <laughs> it was a, uh, a kind of a difficult game to watch yesterday. It was just, I just feel like we could have just opened it up and just throttled them yesterday, but... That just wasn't the uh, the game plan, I don't think. So mm-hmm. I, it was a it was kind of a hard game to watch. Towards that third and fourth quarter, I was just like, "Come on, I'm sick of field goals and I'm sick of this already." But it, it it's a win, I guess. We can't complain. Yeah, and the offense I think was definitely left something to be desired. But I mean, I part of me wants to come in here and just say, "What's wrong with the offense?" I've heard people talk about that. And we talked about that a lot on this show where people are still wondering why that doesn't look like it did in 2011. And our conclusion has been that A, the NFL has figured out the Packers offense and B, that was the Packers offense at its absolute best it's ever going to possibly be. So the actual offense is somewhere in the middle. But at the same point, you got to wonder if similar to the Jaguars game last year and some of those other lesser games they played that as soon as news trickled through that Calvin Johnson was out that they kind of turned it uh, turned on coast mode a little bit. Yeah. On both or especially on offense. I think they knew that that after a few series of the defense playing uh really good football against the Lions depleted offense that if they didn't screw up, they were going to have a hard time losing this one. Right. I think you're absolutely right. And I don't think it's anything that the coaching staff would admit, but I th- we did see it last year. And after I th- remember like the first one of those kinds of games were like, oh, that was pretty ugly, but is it possible, you know, that they're just leaving a lot of things back knowing that they should be able to win this game, not running their full offense. Mm-hmm. And I think they proved it a couple more times last year. And I think that's exactly what we saw yesterday. When you hear that Calvin Johnson is out, I mean, really, I texted you before the game. If they lose this game without Kelvin Johnson playing against them, yeah. if they're done for. I mean, this Lions <laughs> team is so dependent on that being a part of their offense. Mm-hmm. That's really their only – that's really all that they have. I mean, Nate Burleson's out too, so the passing game is really stunted. Mm-hmm. Unless the Packers came out and completely threw the game away, which is what I think they're trying to avoid in, in being so conservative – I think they really didn't have much of a chance to lose that yesterday, and they really proved it. The defense came out and played well. So, you know, had the game been a, been a little closer down the stretch, we probably would have seen a little bit more, but I don't feel like the play callers felt that they had to do anymore. Yeah, I agree. And I was just trying to think. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find the number here, but Detroit's longest gain couldn't have been over 30 yards uh, on the on the day yesterday. Um Let's take a look. Uh, on the actual uh, box score, a Brandon Pettigrew 25-yard reception is the longest play from scrimmage for the Detroit mm-hmm. Lions yesterday. Sure. So, yeah, they really don't have much of a chance to move the football without Calvin Johnson, like you said. And, I mean, it, it just really almost looked like that Jacksonville game last year where it was a lot closer than you thought it would be, but they, they just... Unless they turned the ball over four times, they weren't going to lose. And and especially the defense, I don't want to discredit what they did. They played really well again yesterday, but gosh, 
last week I thought Matt Stafford had, had righted himself, and now all of a sudden he was the inaccurate Matt Stafford that we saw last year. And maybe Calvin Johnson and uh, the short passes to Reggie Bush kind of disguise that lack of accuracy that he's displayed the last two years. But, um, yeah, it, it's really – I want to judge this offense and say that they're broken, but they still hit the one big play. Randall Cobb had a, a big play out of a unique formation. Ryan Taylor dropped what should have been a touchdown. And they've climbed up to number five in the NFL in rushing. So – I don't know, and, and maybe we'll get into the bigger conversation because this game doesn't leave us a whole lot to talk about, I think. But part of, I have such mixed emotions about this team right now because part of me looks at Denver just destroying it in the AFC and then the almost uh, scary scenario right now where the two number ones, or the two bye weeks in the NFC are going to be Seattle and New Orleans, which are both about death sentences for road right. teams. And so part of me is like, well, gosh, I mean, this team is almost facing a scenario that the 93 or 4 Packers had, where who cares if you sweep the Lions or if you're able to win the Metrodome or if you're able to win the NFC Central. Second round of the playoffs, you're going to either Dallas or San Francisco, and you're going to lose by 25 points. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, this running game might change everything for this offense. And I don't think they're going to be as explosive as they were. They're not going to score as many points as they have. But the fact that they can actually move the ball when Aaron Rodgers in offense is, or, and, and the rest of his offensive teammates in the passing game are not playing effectively is something brand new for this team. And it makes them much more balanced. And we sat here racking our brains in the playoffs trying to find anything that unified these recent Super Bowl champions. And the only thing is, they couldn't do anything great. But they were able to do at least everything well enough to compete in every game, and then we'll see what happens. And maybe the fact that they can run the ball, they can stop the pass a little better, and they can stop the run, and they still have Aaron Rodgers, makes this team less impressive, but more dangerous going forward. Yeah, I can definitely see that, and I think the uh, the way the front seven is playing on defense is a big part to do with me feeling still pretty confident in this team, because that's definitely something we didn't have last year. And uh, the secondary is still pretty poor, but if uh, you know if you can get to the quarterback, and, and they've been doing an okay job of that, you might still be okay. But mm-hmm. being a lot more balanced on offense should really help down the stretch, you would think. I mm-hmm. mean, if, if Rodgers gets shut down again in the playoffs, like we've seen, you know, against, say against New York uh, a couple years ago, um, just doesn't have a, you know, and still a pretty good game com- in comparison to a lot of quarterbacks, but up to his standards. If you still have a running game that's going to put up 160 yards, you still have a pretty darn good chance, whereas that's something we didn't have before. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, we're, we're pretty well balanced. Aaron Rodgers could go off any game, but the fact, knowing that you have something else if he can't, I think it, it leads you to believe that they're not just completely done for if Rodgers doesn't for, throw for 400 yards in every single playoff game, which is, is almost unrealistic to think he could do again. And that's what we were talking about even three, four weeks ago, is, yeah. is how are you going to expect him to play that well? And the fact of the matter is, is, as effective as he was for the 2010 playoffs, he had a horrible game in Chicago, and yep. he he was basically what he's been in a lot of games that we've lost in Philadelphia and in the Super Bowl where he has this ridiculously hot start and then kind of cools off and the defense can't hold. And so I think the fact that we do have a running game kind of, you know, we saw what happened in 2011 where he had two so-so games in 17 tries all year, or in 16 tries all year, and they lost both of them decisively. Mm -hmm. And so now 
this might be this is not as good of an offense as they had in 2011 or last year, but it it might be a safer offense when you're starting to think about the playoff run. Sure. Um, so obviously that's going forward, but having looking at it now, the Packers are actually third in total yards and third in points scored, uh, fourth in passing yards and uh, and they're fifth in passing touchdowns with nine, which anything in the passing touchdown realm looks small compared to what Peyton Manning's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, and they've had a bye too, so keep that's that true. in mind. That's true. So that's true. That's pretty darn impressive. So yeah, that's very um, true. It, it's easy to complain just because we know what this offense can do or what it has done. Mm-hmm. So it can be kind of frustrating to see games like yesterday. But I mean, we still have to stay grounded and realize that it could be way, way worse. Yeah, and one of the things I was thinking on the way home from work today is why is this running game so good? Because you texted me during the game yesterday, and I totally agree that Eddie Lacy. Is not bad by any means, but he he is somewhat disappointing when you're expecting a bruising runner that hardly ever breaks through the first tackle. You have J- uh, Jonathan Franklin, who seems to be explosive, but he and Lacey have already fumbled twice this year. And James Starks is James Starks, and they're running all over everybody. And this is with the same five offensive line that can't keep Aaron Rodgers or linemen that can't keep Rodgers upright, that can't run with anybody uh, back there the last three seasons, and yet they're third in the league in rushing. Um, or fifth in the league in rushing. I do you make anything of this? I, I'm having a hard time understanding why this is happening. Yeah, it's kind of strange. It almost seems like I don't know if they've changed their scheme at all over the uh, over the off season, but the run blocking seems a hundred times better than it's been. I mean, these are the same backs we've had. I mean, at least in terms of James Starks, and, mm-hmm. and he's average for the last two years, and all of a sudden he comes in and just breaks out. But the holes are huge for the most part, mm-hmm. and. Lacey, like you said, he bursts through the hole, and then all of a sudden when contact's coming, he just seems to go down. And I don't know if that's still because of the concussion, if he's afraid to get hit a little bit. Because I guess I didn't notice it as much before as I did yesterday, and I was just very unimpressed with how he was running. Yeah. You know, for such a big and powerful guy, he seemed to really slow down at the point of contact and just go down. I called him but, Ron Dane yesterday. I thought Yeah, that was- very much so. So I, I think that... Um, I really think that right now, if, unless Lacey kind of turns things around and gets back to his old bruising style, I think James Starks might be a really good fit for this offense because if they get the hole for him, you know, if he can break some tackles and he's got a little bit more top-end speed than, mm-hmm. than at least Lacey does, this could be, uh, this could be a pretty darn good running game the rest of the season. It just seems like the holes are there where in the past they haven't been and these backs are trying to bounce it outside and make plays that aren't there and Starks is getting, you know, one yard a pop. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I, I don't know what's happened, but the running the run blocking seems vastly improved. And maybe they're just more focused on it or motivated. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's really hard to say, but it felt like, especially in like 2011 and last year, it felt like pulling teeth when they'd run the ball. Like it would just be that John Coon out of the shotgun and be like, all right, we ran it, see, we tried, it doesn't work. Right, it, it was just a waste of a play, basically, just to, to try to, you know, just to say you did it and not throw it 60 times a game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So whatever they're doing, I hope they can keep doing it and keep going. And, and they've played some some pretty decent defenses. I, we saw what Cincinnati did to New England yesterday, and they rushed for 182 yards against the Bengals. Uh, and I, I mean, Detroit is still Detroit, but still, I mean, 180 yards is quite a bit. And they were one yard away, and I guess a Boykin penalty away from having three different 100-yard rushers in three straight games. So I'm sure that would have been some kind of franchise record, but I guess we'll never see that now. Um, I guess anything else you want to say about the offense? I thought um, I thought Aaron Rodgers played pretty effectively. I mean, it's it definitely not very 
uh, impressive for his numbers, uh, what we're used to seeing from him, but he, he still hit the bomb and he had some others. And Jordy Nelson and James Jones both continue to impress. Um, I, I guess you basically got your median game from all of these guys. Right, and I guess that was the only thing that I, I definitely wanted to bring up is just props to these wideouts. They have just been super impressive, kind of just still carrying over with some of the things they were doing last year. But, I mean, Jordy Nelson, that back shoulder sideline catch, yeah. he's done that, what, four times already this yeah, season? Yeah, at least. Everybody's, the announcers are always blown away, but it's really not a surprise for us at this point. I mean, the guy does it constantly and always is making spectacular catches. And uh, obviously Randall Cobb with the run that he had and some nice catches and James Jones again, you know, a couple of touchdowns or I think the second one got wiped off, didn't it? But yeah, but that was I don't I'm still not convinced. Right, but I mean these receivers and throw Finley in there too just were incredible again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to go as far as you know. You always hear the quarterback makes receivers better. I don't know if you want to go as far as saying that they make the quarterback better because Rodgers is still throwing some lasers and some accurate passes, but they definitely bail him out a lot on plays that a lot of receivers wouldn't make. Yeah, and I, I I don't know if I'd go as far to say they bail him out, but they give him a unique option that a lot of other quarterbacks don't have because certainly he's not throwing those sideline passes that he gets to Jordy. He's not throwing those to James Jones. Right. Um, so, it, I mean, they all have kind of their own unique weapons, but he also um, he, he seems to favor Jordy, but they all have kind of their unique things. He'll throw it to Finley when he's covered, expecting him to break a tackle. He'll throw it to James Jones when he's one-on-one, expecting him to win a jump ball, and he'll throw Jordy hugging the sideline and expecting him to get it. So I think he uses all of their strengths pretty effectively, but they certainly are up to the challenge that, that he gives them by uh, offering up those kind of iffy passes. Mm-hmm. They're all calculated risks, I guess I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I will want to mention, um, maybe we can talk more in depth about the defense, but Jim Schwartz, I mean, come on. I thought I was, I was starting to kind of not really like the guy, but ignore him effectively. And then calling the timeout with 24 seconds left down 22 to 9, it's like, ugh, him and Greg Schiano should go coach high school football against each other and both go 2 and 7. Yeah, I uh, yeah I can't. I mean, I don't think anybody can stand him outside of Detroit fans, and I don't even know how they feel about him. But at least if the Lions keep losing, you probably won't have to tolerate him for too much longer. <laughs> yeah, I know he's one of them guys where you almost wish they find a way to keep him around, just because. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, the Packers are now four. Or uh, Mike McCarthy is fourteen and one against the Detroit Lions. His only loss being the Aaron Rodgers concussion game, and they've lost twenty three straight times. Um, to the Packers in Wisconsin, so 1991. I'm sure that number was just drilled in everybody's head yesterday. Um, I don't know if we mentioned that in our other podcast, but for some perspective, that was the year before Matt and I started kindergarten, <laughs> and we're both college graduates at this point. <laughs> so, uh, I guess it's tough for the Lions. Do we want to talk about the defense? I, I thought they were pretty effective. Morgan Burnett coming back, I guess, changed some things, but... Uh, I don't. You don't want to damper a good situation with the defense playing pretty darn good. I thought for the most part, but you lose three more linebackers. And the breaking news tonight is that Clay Matthews might be out a month. Oh, I actually hadn't heard that yet. So it was the bro. It's the broken thumb that's keeping him out then, right? Yep. They didn't. Last I heard, they didn't know if he was going to have surgery or not. So that's going to be obviously a big blow. Um, I mean, he's the critical part of this defense. But I mean, they were very impressive again yesterday. Um, I mean, that front seven continues to play well. The secondary was definitely better. I mean, you're without Calvin Johnson, so that's 
definitely a big game changer. Sure. But, I mean, they've been what they've been the last few weeks, and it, it, they've been very impressive. And it's, I think, what I had hoped for coming into the season to at least give them a chance at a Super Bowl or to make a deep run and win the division and have that, you know, that 11-5, 12-4 record again. So, mm-hmm. um, the defense is living up to everything we had hoped. And, um, you know, losing Clay is going to be going to be pretty bad, if, especially if it's for a month. But hopefully they can weather the storm. Yeah, and I guess, I don't know. I feel like I'm out of things to say about injuries. I'm, I just don't understand. And I know Detroit's best player was out yesterday, and there seems to be a lot of that going around. But it's you just feel like this Packer team could be so good and like could have been all-time great in any number of, one, of these years if they just could stay healthy. It's like they have the fastest car in the race, but as soon as they take a few laps, they blow a tire, or the transmission starts acting up, or they run out of gas. Like I, I don't really understand why this keeps happening, and and maybe that's a league-wide problem. Um, I, my heart almost broke watching that Thursday night football game with how excited Bills and Browns fans were, oh, yeah. and then Hoyer blows his knee out, and then Manuel, Manuel sprained his knee. Looked his like he knee. had an ACL too when it happened. Yeah, and Mike Mayock, when he got hurt, was almost inconsolable. He was like, oh, no. He's like, you just tune into these games, and you're hoping for the best, and then, you know, two best players get knocked out of the game. He's like, this just makes you want to puke. And, you know, I felt the same way. I mean, who's rooting against either one of those franchises at this point? But uh, I I don't know. That Hoyer thing sucked. I mean, he's, he's so awesome. He comes in and wins two games straight for the Browns. They ended up winning a third, and... It, it's kind of painful, even though we're not obviously Browns fans, but you know you just kind of root for a team that's been bad for so long to get something to cheer for, and then he tears his ACL. Yeah. But you know it, it does seem like it happens to Packers more than other teams, but everybody's dealing with it too. So, I mean, Clay's obviously a huge piece to lose, but um, you know we still got a lot of other healthy pieces. So everybody else is in the league's banged up a little bit. So if we can just weather this for four weeks and get him back for a playoff run, and you know that's the extent of our major injuries this year, I guess we can't complain too much. Yeah, hopefully uh, that's the last of it for him, at least. I know yeah. he's had some problems, but I guess what can you do, really? I mean, we've talked about some of that stuff in earlier podcasts, but they were all kind of they're all shots in the dark. I, I don't really know what you can do to fix this problem. Yeah. All right, so up next for the Green Bay Packers is going to be maybe a tough one, maybe an easy one, depending on which Baltimore Ravens team shows up at M&T Bank Stadium, I believe it's called, in uh, in Baltimore. Uh, interesting stat that I looked up is that the Packers are playing at the Ravens, the defending Super Bowl champions, and the Packers have played the defending Super Bowl champion 24 times, and their record is 7-17 and 17 in those games. Uh, four and eight since the Packer Renaissance of 1992. Wow. So even that, I thought maybe separating them would make them better. Um, of course, to blame for most of that record is five losses to the defending Super Bowl champion Dallas Cowboys in 93, 4, 5, and 6. So that'll do it for you. Yeah, that is kind of interesting, but uh, I guess, yeah, when you mention that, it's not, a, I guess, a huge surprise anymore. So minus the Dallas ones, they're, what, four and... Four and two or something like that? Yeah, they had a nice little run there. And, and uh, Maybe the relevant one to this here is they beat the Baltimore Ravens pretty decisively in 2001 uh, when the Ravens' defense oh, yeah. was still a force to be reckoned with and Favre shredded them. What was that? Drop walk. That's right. We didn't even get to watch that one. And we actually didn't get to watch the next one either because it was the same Sunday when they whooped the Patriots in New England. 
So the crop walk cost us uh, two games back in the the early 2000s, and they actually the following year in 2003 beat the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Chad Clifton revenge game. Um, I'll always remember that game for Brett Favre, I believe, having 92 passing yards for the game, and they tied at 13, had a 99 and a half yard drive, almost exclusively Amon Green and Najee Davenport runs. Um, that was a satisfying win after all that happened the year before with Warren Sapp and Chad Clifton. Nice. And more recently, obviously, that Pittsburgh one-point loss, a uh, game that I'd like to forget, and the New York Giants beat down last year in the Meadowlands. So do you think they can add a win uh, in that pitiful record against former Super Bowl champs? Well, you would hope so. I mean, looking forward to this game and how tough our schedule is the whole season, this seems like one that you have to get. It's kind of like the Lions game. It, it's not like they're a bad team, but comparative to the, the the hell of a schedule that we have the rest of the year, mm-hmm. this is a game against a team that's not playing particularly well and um, is just not the team they were last year. So you really, really hope to pick one up here on Sunday. Yeah, they got to at least win this one or the Viking game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got... Three of their next five at home, and so they should be able to win those, but then they have at the Ravens and then at the Vikings, and you would hope that they can win one of those too. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. It's always tough to play in Baltimore. Yeah. And, yeah, you really never know what's going to happen with this Packer team. It feels like – I heard somebody say that they're like the NFL's um, uh, Washington Generals, where they're just – not, not that they're as hapless as they are when they play the Globetrotters, but they're brought in all, they're their traveling champ. They're brought in as the marquee game for every team all year. Um, luckily this one, this one will probably be the national, um, first game. Uh, I'm sure quite a few people will see it. Yeah, and it, it's, it's really strange because it, we're kind of both sort of two-faced teams right now. So I, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would be surprised if we blew them out. I don't think anybody would be surprised if we lost by 14, and nobody would be surprised if it was, you know, down to the last second. So you really could get pretty much any kind of a turnout here, and nobody would be surprised. The Packers could lose by three touchdowns, and I wouldn't be, you know, completely shocked by it even. So it's going to mm-hmm. be interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, definitely, because, well, I was going to say they killed Houston this year, but then Houston last night looked like they might not be very good this year. Yeah. This game and matchup in this stadium will always remind me of, what, three, four days before Christmas in 2005, watching the Ravens beat the Packers 48-3, to uh, just okay. sitting. I don't know if you remember that, Matt, but I yeah, think we watched that. Yeah, was that, that, was that a Kyle Bowler game? It was, and yeah. he tore us apart. Aaron Rodgers actually got his first NFL extended action in that game and was pretty rough. But I remember us just muting the uh, the game and listening to Christmas tunes while we watched the Packers get blown away in yeah. the light of the Christmas tree. So I guess we made the best of a horrible situation. All right, so I think we can talk a little bit about the NFL. We've had about a month to go, and I'm going to start posting a new feature on our website, which is something that uh, me and a good listener, Caleb Pike, are always debating throughout the season is, who would be where if the playoffs started today? So uh, after this game tonight, when we'll be completed for week five, I'm going to start posting the playoff rankings based on the real tiebreakers if the playoffs were to start today. It's just kind of a little fun thing that it's fun to look at, and you can see teams fall and rise. Just, I'm just real curious real quick. Where yeah. would the Kansas City Chiefs be on that right now? The Kansas City Chiefs would be the, let's see... I think they would be omitted because of their horrible schedule. They'd be number one in the BCS, I think, is where they would be. Um, no, yeah, we could talk about Kansas City. I think even if they beat, 
if they go 12 and 4 beating 16 bad teams, you still gotta give them credit for that. So, yeah, and that, that's yeah. what I predicted coming. I mean, I didn't think that they were a great team, and I still don't, even though they're 5 and 0, oh, but I mean, mm-hmm. they've, they're gonna beat the, all the bad teams they play, and they might even sneak out a couple of them. I mean, they're already, you know, if they can go, you know, 5 and whatever the whole rest of the season here, what would that be? About 5, five and 6? Six? 6 the rest yeah. of the season, they're in the playoffs, so. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, a bad to average teams in the AFC, and they're just consistent enough to, I think, pull this one out. Well, the thing for them is they're definitely not going to win that division. Right. So they're, gonna... Yeah, they'll be a wild card and probably get stomped in the first round. Well, I mean, the way it's going, they could play at Indianapolis uh, so or, or Cleveland or the, the Bengals or somebody like that. That would be a pretty awesome. Kansas City versus Cleveland in the first round, I'd watch that. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, Kansas City versus... Uh, if they play the Cincinnati Bengals, it would be the Bengals haven't won a playoff game since 1990, and the Chiefs have an NFL record seven straight postseason losses dating back to the 93 AFC Championship game. So something would have to give there. Maybe you know the 2012 apocalypse would happen before that <laughs> game took place. But yeah, so we're just going to talk about. I, I forgot my train of thought there. You got me flustered with those pesky Kansas. I'm actively rooting against the Kansas City Chiefs, just oh, so you on. know. It has nothing to do with the, with you obviously knowing more about the Kansas City Chiefs prior to this season. It's the fact that they're such a boring team. I hate watching them. Alex Smith is the most boring player in the history of the NFL. Chad Pennington looks like 1998 Randall Cunningham compared to Alex Smith. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'll give you that. I, I guess I haven't watched a ton of uh, Chiefs football this year so far, but I've I, even the commentators you hear them talk about how painful it is to watch Alex Smith so far <laughs> this year. But I mean, I really don't mind that kind of ball control offense. I mean, that's why I was one of the few people I think that in, actually enjoyed watching Tim Tebow play quarterback for the Broncos. I I kind of like that for some reason. But um, is but, ball yeah, control not, code for lots of punts? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like I like low scoring games. The whole NFL. I mean, yesterday the Cowboys Bronco game was was exciting, but at the same time, it's kind of like, man, I, I sort of miss my 90s football a little bit. I want some uh, some ground and pound and punts and yeah. <laughs> a little more. Like, maybe it's too much stimulation for me when I'm watching. No, I agree, and I, I think the, the thing for me is college football is almost ruined. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when LSU and Georgia is 41 to 34, you're you're wondering what's going on. You know, it it, it it's different, and I, I don't know if I like it that much. I, I remember watching that Badgers-Arizona State game, and I didn't watch the whole thing, luckily, so I saved myself the irritation of seeing that debacle at the end of the game. But I think I texted you during that game or, or one of the other games where I'm like, I'm pretty sure that Arizona State has not taken one snap under center. And right. I know that's their offense, but I kind of like the pro-style West Coast 49er offense and I don't like watching everybody run the Oregon offense, and, and and when it's bad, it's like the worst thing in the world to watch. Right, and I agree. I mean, and we could probably have a, an hour long discussion on this, but I, uh, you know, I, I just, I almost don't really like the direction it's going right now, and it's it's almost it's not special at all when you see it all the time. Like normally, had we seen that Broncos Cowboy game ten years ago, oh yeah, our minds would have been blown, and it would have been the greatest game we've ever seen. But we saw it yesterday, and it was kind of like, oh, that was good. But I mean, you could see that any given week. You know, you could yeah. get Saints Packers and see the same thing. You could get you know Patriots Falcons and see the same game potentially. I mean, there's there's so many good quarterbacks. All the offenses are wide open. It, it wasn't even really that you know shocking when it happened. So I do I do kind of miss the days of old of uh, of a, a little bit different football. And I hope eventually maybe we uh, get away from what we're seeing now. But it, it almost seems like it's evolving into this, and it's going to be even more of this. Yeah, and I feel like 
people just talking about Peyton Manning and his 20 TDs in five games, and, and part of me is like, I, I am having a hard time being that impressed by it, honestly. It, it just feels like everybody's doing this. Like, the eyeball test doesn't look any more special when he does it, when Drew Brees seems to be doing a lot. I mean, you have a bunch of other guys, Rivers and Romo, each have 13, Brees has 12, Sam Bradford has freaking 10 touchdowns after five games. And so, I mean, so what is that, what is he out of pace on? 30 something? And, I mean, I don't want to harken back to, to Brett Favre again, but he had 20 in the first six games of 1996 when guys were making the Pro Bowl with 18 touchdown passes. I mean, that's a little bit different to me. So, I agree with you. I, it's not special. And, one of my favorite games I've seen in recent years was that divisional playoff game where the Ravens played at Tennessee. And it was 13 to 10, oh, and there was, was some really good stuff. There was turnovers, like really smartly forced turnovers. I miss turnovers in games. <laughs> I love, I mean, cause that's when you get the wild and crazy stuff. That's why that, that Bengals Packers game, as frustrating as it was to lose, it was refreshing to see a messy game like that. That wasn't just like touchback, drive to the 40, kick a field goal, touchback, 80 yard touchdown drive for the whole game. <clears throat> Um, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like a couple of old men, like yeah, oh. it definitely sounds like it. But uh, I don't, I don't know. It just, it's almost scary where the, like the direction the league is going now, because you you don't want to see it get too far away from what you know we grew up watching. Mm-hmm. And I guess it kind of fits in nicely with the the ADD world that we live in yeah. today. That in order to keep somebody's attention, and, and that's probably part of the reason why the ratings are picking up, because we're probably a part of the minority where everybody else is just gobbling this up, and <laughs> and we're sitting here like a couple of old timers just just wishing for some running. <laughs> yeah, give the ball to the fullback. Right. Well, and and I think that's part of the NFL juggernaut. I was at I don't know if I mentioned this last week on the the solo podcast I did, but I, I watched the games at Buffalo Wild Wings during the Packer bye week, and there's just so much going on. And then I had Red Zone on my phone, and then I was during breaks I was checking my fantasy team, and it feels like there's so many people that watch football every single week that don't even really like the game. They just kind of like the hoopla. They like playing fantasy football. Mm-hmm. They they like everything going on, and it's like. I, I enjoy that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm play. I have two fantasy football teams, and I have two TVs set up when we have two games going on. And I got the red zone on my phone, sitting on my lap a lot of times. But there's something to be said, and that's kind of why I'm starting to get more into the Thursday night game. Is I like just sitting there and being like, "Hmm, who's gonna win, Cleveland or the Bills? Let's yeah. find out." Like, I, I kind of miss that aspect of, of football, and it seems like it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, um, we can talk a little bit about the NFL here, and I don't know about you, Matt, I, the, the Broncos are scoring 46 points a game, New Orleans looks unstoppable again, Seattle had a loss yesterday, but still, if they get home field, they're probably automatic, but maybe it's just the what we've seen in the last few years, I'm still pretty confident that somebody's going to beat Denver in the in the first or second round of the playoffs. Same thing with the Patriots. Um, Seattle might be a little bit tougher, but you never know with them. It's like, I, I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time assessing my feelings about these dominant teams because it really feels like, it, not that it doesn't matter right now in this season, but we've seen this story so many times. We've seen the Packers yeah. in New England and everybody get way out in front and then somebody clips them once the playoffs start. So I don't... Do you think any one of these teams can break that trend and be great coast to coast? 
Well, I think they definitely could, and I think the two that you mentioned, I think so far the Saints and the Broncos seem the most well-rounded, and I think, you know, if Seattle gets home field throughout, that seems almost unbeatable, but, I mean, it's been every year. I mean, they basically handed us the championship in 2011 before the playoffs started. Yep. I mean, nobody thought that the Packers were not going to win the Super Bowl, and then we get knocked out, out in our first game. So mm-hmm. Peyton's done it before in the playoffs where he just seems to, you know, to for whatever reason, kind of if it's too much pressure or what, but he uh, tends to kind of fold a little bit in playoff games. I wouldn't be surprised if a team like us goes into Seattle and wins. We seem to match mm-hmm. up pretty well against them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if that Saints defense reverts back to what they've been for the last seven years yeah. and not be very good. I mean, there's none of these teams are untouchable, whereas I think those three right now look to be the best, but none of them are unbeatable. So I would not be surprised at all if we see a wild card team come in and you know, three different wild card teams come in and knock out all three of those teams yeah. in the second round. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, and and that definitely could happen. And I'm trying to think of the year that it was. Um, maybe it, yeah, I think it was '07. And I remember that was the year where it kind of felt like we we had some weird stuff with the Colts and the Steelers, and you had like the Panthers run. You had had the Ravens just a few years before that. And '07 felt like kind of the return of the old football, where you had. The Patriots were 16 and 0, Dallas, Green Bay, and the Colts were all 13 and 3 juggernauts, and those were your first round buys. And I remember people talking, these might be the best four teams to ever get the buys. And I can't wait to see Dallas versus Green Bay at Texas Stadium, and Peyton versus uh, Brady in another big rematch. And then two of those four, who completely dominated the league, lost. And then it's just gotten worse and worse since then, with the exception of 2009 when the Saints and Colts really were great wall-to-wall. I am almost expecting uh, at least one, maybe two of those really dominant teams to go down in the first round. I mean, look at look at Denver. I mean, that conference is a little weaker, but Baltimore could do it again. If they had to play the Colts, would you count out the Colts? Kansas City, maybe? Um and then the Saints and Seahawks, who knows with them? They're both kind of – the Saints are – Saints are going to be the weirdest team in history to assess when it's all said and done, how they seem to alternate 13-3 and and 7-9 and seasons. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I guess what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is that I will not believe any one of these teams is as great as they are until they've actually won the Super Bowl at this point in the NFL. Right, because none of them have proven it. And- yeah. The teams that have won the last few years, we're really the only remaining one, it seems, that that's still at least close to the top of our game. Baltimore does not look very impressive so far. They could turn it around. They didn't look great last regular season either. Um, but New York is gone. They're awful. Yeah. And um, New England is is a shell of its former self. So it just none of these teams have proven themselves. So they might be really good in the regular season, but we've seen that time and time again. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to really put a whole lot of faith into these teams if, if we haven't seen them actually make the run yet. You think Peyton breaks the touchdown record? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, he's got so many weapons, and that offense is so wide open. I mean, he's already, you know, almost half the way there. I mean, he, what's the record, 50? Yeah, so he's on pace for 64, I think, right now. So uh, I think he'll do it, but that obviously doesn't lead to Super Bowl rings either. So we've mm-hmm. seen uh, what Drew Brees last year, was it last year that he set the passing yards record? or I think he'd done it like the last two years in a row, yeah. actually. Yeah, and and they haven't won a Super Bowl the last two years. So it, I mean, if you can put up these kind of numbers, then it doesn't necessarily lead to success. So mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I th- I think he'll do it. I I think I have some confidence that he'll do it. He might. 
who knows, he might get the passing yards record away from Breeze too, but yeah. I want to, we know he can be a great regular season quarterback. I want to see a playoff run. Yeah, yeah, me too. And his, his career has been grossly lacking in those, um, he's had some real good half runs and then they've kind of fallen apart. Right. But we'll see. I, I think he'll, I think he'll break the record. I still think it's not going to be 60. That just seems kind of ridiculous and he plays in Denver, so I think that's going to taper off a little bit. <laughs> And so we'll see, but uh, I guess it's something exciting to get exci- uh, to get up for during the regular season. Okay, with that we've kind of rambled a lot, especially me. But let's get in to a segment that me and Matt both love, and that is Crossfire. And that begins the segment of Crossfire, where Matt and I try our best to rapidly send each other different topics, and then we debate them for a little bit, and we keep going at this frantic pace, although most of the time, Matt and I are so smart, we come up with such good topics that it never quite goes that fast. <laughs> uh, but we'll see if we can get some speed here. Um, Matt, do you want to start? Sure. I'll, I'll start you off with one here. Okay. Um, you have to pick one of these quarterbacks to run your team. Okay. And this is uh, related to another one of our hilarious uh, foes to the West here. Is it? Uh, do you take Josh Freeman, Matt Castle, or Christian Ponder? Oh, is it official that he's a, a Viking now? Yes, he's officially signed, and not expected to start right away since he still has to learn the offense a little bit, but uh, is expected to probably start down the road. Okay. Um, I feel like I've seen the most of Matt Castle just because after that 2010 division title in Kansas City, they we're on national TV quite a bit that second season yeah. after that. And um, oh, and his run in New England, he was on TV quite a bit there. He just seems, I don't know. I, Christian Ponder's the worst of the three, I think. Um, Castle, I think if he has some weapons, he can at least be somewhat effective. And Josh Freeman's a one-hit wonder. Oh man, this is. T- I guess I'll go with Castle. I feel like he might take care of the football a little bit more. I think Ponder takes care of the football the best because he can't possibly hit anyone, offense or defense. Right. Uh, usually the ball goes flying into vacant spots on the <laughs> on the field. So I will say Matt Castle, but I I take Matt Flynn over any one of these three. Right. Yeah, I I probably agree with you there. I I think that uh, that Ponder's three on my list. And I think I might take Castle too. I'm really torn though. I think Freeman's the better quarterback of the two. Mm-hmm. I think if you're if you're trying to make a serious run at a at you know a Super Bowl or at least a playoff run, he's probably the better choice. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you said, he's a one hit wonder. And on top of that, I mean, this guy just seems super immature. Yeah, he's not a quarterback, you know, by any means other than he plays the position. He's he doesn't seem like a leader. It didn't seem like anybody on Tampa <laughs> liked him at all, and mm-hmm. he showed up to everything late, and it it just. If, if we're talking this season and just finishing out the year, he's in a new place. He's probably going to be all, you know, laced up and, and ready to go. So I might take him for this year, but I think overall with that Vikings team, I'd take Matt Castle too. Yeah, and that's the thing that with his attitude, and Greg Schiano is just seems like the biggest douchebag in the world. Yeah. But nobody defended Josh Freeman. No. He, he leaked personal information about the guy, and then Rondé Barber yesterday, who was a teammate of his for a few years, was on Fox NFL Sunday, and he, like, buried Josh Freeman. 
So, and, and he's not tiki. He's usually pretty careful with his words. I mean, that just shocked me. So, yeah, Greg Schiano might be something, but then what the heck is Josh Freeman if nobody will even defend him? Right. Okay, I got one for you here, and uh, I guess I'll kind of rearrange these as I have them written here, but what is one thing from the NFL's past that you would bring back? And I'm thinking among, uh, among the time that we've been watching. It can be anything. It could be a play that's not used much anymore, a team, a stadium, uh, something from television, whatever it is. Is there What is one thing that has been in the NFL since we've been watching that is no longer here that you would bring back if you could? Oh, no question. I have to bring back the Houston Oilers, no doubt. <laughs> they were, they were my second favorite team growing up forever. I had, I had Houston, a Houston Oilers mug. I, I just loved that team and, um, you know, Warren Moon, Haywood Jeffries, all those guys. They were so awesome. And they have a pretty cool history and stuff, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, obviously they had some devastating playoff losses and everything and, yeah. and, uh, fan base kind of started to turn on them a little bit. So I understand it, but I would, I would give somebody 20 bucks to rename the, the Houston Texans to the Houston Oilers and change back to those awesome light blue and red and white uniforms again. Yeah, the Texans is a pretty lame name. I know it's kind of in the NFL lexicon now, but it's just really... When I first heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? Go buy the Houston Oilers name from Tennessee. Yeah, that would be so great if they came back again. That's who I choose. Okay, that's a really good one. I didn't even think of that. Mine... I was going to say Saturday games. I missed the full slate of Saturday games the last three weeks of the season. Oh, yeah. Those were, like, the coziest. You could watch a bunch of bad teams play, and there was, like, no other games going on. I really missed those. But after being reminded of that, I started thinking of stuff that's not on TV anymore. And hands down, what I miss more about the NFL's past that I would bring back in a second. I might even pay 30 bucks for it to come back. <laughs> ESPN NFL primetime with oh, with yeah, Chris Berman and that. Tom Jackson. Without a doubt, we used to love that show. We'd we'd be ready for it. We'd be turning off the end of games to start watching NFL primetime. Just completely tied up the NFL week perfectly. Uh, a to- I-, I miss that show so much. Every time I watch Football Night in America, I'm always every week I want to give it a chance, and I'm always just a little bit disappointed with it. And I, I just, I really missed that show. That was so much fun. Yeah, we watched it religiously. I mean, like you said, we would miss the end of games and miss the start of the Sunday night games <laughs> just to watch it. I mean, the music was incredible. Berman and Jackson were great. That was a fantastic show, and I know we were just absolutely shocked when they said it was going off the air. That was probably our favorite show growing up. Yeah. Yeah, so I would definitely bring that back. Good choice. Okay, um, I'm going to give you a Packer one here. What is the bigger surprise? How good the Packers front seven has been, or how good the run game has been? I'll say the run game. The the front seven has... They've been pretty bad uh, the last few years, but they still would have games where they would pressure the quarterback, get some sacks, and they were pretty darn good in 2010. So you at least kind of felt the potential was there for them to be good. Whereas this running game has been pretty poor since Ryan Grant hurt his ankle in the first game of the 2010 season. Um, having three new running backs and injury, or two two new running backs and then injury prone James Starks and becoming top five in the NFL and rushing through the first month of the season was something completely unexpected. I thought they'd be improved. I didn't think they'd be that much better. And doing it pretty much with the exact same cast of characters you had on the offensive line and without Brian Bulaga. So uh, I would say both have been a pleasant surprise, but the running game was more unexpected. 
I'll agree with you there. Um, I, I'd expected the front seven to be a little better, especially after we saw what Johnny Jolly had been doing this preseason. But there, too, I mean, it seems like we've got kind of the same cast of characters. And for whatever reason now, they seem to be really stepping up. And a lot of them are a couple years into the league now, some of those younger guys like Mike Neal and those guys. But the run game is has had a complete 360. It's Like you said, it's the same guys minus some starters. And for whatever reason, all of a sudden, they seem to know how to block. So mm-hmm. it's been really um, just inexcusable how poor they've been with as good of a passing game as they have over the last few years. So mm-hmm. it's nice to see them finally turn it around, and I did not expect that this year. Um, I expected, you know, Eddie Lacy to play pretty well, but probably making most of his own yards himself and not getting much help yeah. at the line, but there's been some good holes. Sure. Yeah, so I guess we're in agreement on the last uh, one at least. <laughs> um, here's one for you. Going back kind of the same time frame that we are talking before, because I know we talk a lot about before we were watching, but as far as these snap judgments, I don't expect you to make any snap judgments about 1970s players. <laughs> Who is the best player to play in the NFL in the last 25 years, not including quarterbacks? Oh, boy. Yeah, that is a tough snap judgment one. Last 25 years, um, you could make a pretty good case for Reggie White. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, Barry Sanders... Those are the two I'm kind of going back and forth between. Mm-hmm. I feel like since we've seen a lot of really good running backs in that time, we've seen LaDainian Tomlinson in his prime do kind of similar things to what Barry Sanders done. We've seen Adrian Peterson lately. To me, there's really hasn't been anybody like Reggie White since Reggie White, and mm-hmm. there was nobody. You could say Bruce Smith was as good, but he wasn't. If just watching the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I'm going to say, and it, to make that big of an impact from the defensive end position is just incredible. So I'm going to go with Reggie White. Yeah, and Reggie White is definitely high on my list, and I, I honestly didn't pick one before I, after I wrote this question down. Offense, you want to go with like a running back or a wide receiver. You're tempted to go with somebody like Randy Moss, but he had some really down periods where he wasn't very good. Uh, same with Emmett Smith. Uh, if we're going to talk running backs, I would almost say Emmett Smith was the top on that list. Having seen some of those Cowboys games more recently. In Super Bowl 30, they go from getting beat to Emmett Smith getting the ball like eight straight times and getting 80 yards. And it wasn't all blocking. He's breaking tackles. He's catching passes. His reputation of him running behind a giant offensive line is completely unfair. Um, and just to throw yeah, in there real quick, sure. too, I, I completely forgot to mention Jerry Rice. In that yeah, and I was just he just stopped me in my tracks yeah. <laughs> thinking about Jerry Rice. I'm tempted to say Deion Sanders, too. Um he was a their number one wide receiver when Michael Irvin was getting uh, suspension. He was the defensive player of the year in 1994. He was maybe the best punt returner in the league for ten years. So, yeah, I'm still. I think I'm still going to have to say Reggie White just because it's rare to see a defensive player like make that big of an impact. And uh, man, it, it's. I shouldn't have made this question because now it makes me sound like a waffler who can't make any decisions. But I'll go with Reggie White just because his impact was tremendous. And you, if you watch him every play, you could see him affected in some ways. Whereas Dion, you could avoid. Jerry Rice, you could rattle Steve Young and avoid him. Uh, Emmett Smith was somewhat injury prone at times in his career. It, injury prone in a sense where he played every week, but he'd leave early because of, you know, whatever. Um, so all of those guys are great, but I'll, I'll go with Reggie White. Okay. Um, alrighty. This question, it kind of came to my head today because I've heard it a lot today listening to some sports radio and, and watching Sports Center this morning. 
Statistics aside, snap judgment, who's the best offense you've ever seen? Um, One year. One year. Jeez. Well, it's between... Honestly, it's it's four teams. It's either the 94-49ers, again, having watched them a little bit more recently, having gotten some of their games. They're so much better than anybody else in that era. Um, 98 Vikings, same reason. Uh, Packers in 2011. But I think i got to go with the 07 Patriots. They seem to score at will. They were basically doing the guy who doesn't watch football, Madden offense, deep bomb every game, and it worked. They were unstoppable. There was teams you think could sort of compete with them, and they'd win 42 to nothing. And it was... I, I, I'd never seen a team that dangerous on offense. So I think that the 98 Vikings come close just because of how much better they seem than everybody there. But by 07, it wasn't quite like it was today. So New England was still head and shoulders above everybody else in the league. I'll say them. Sure. And I, I, I'm kind of between... I guess I'm not. I don't remember the '94 Niners as well as you do because I haven't gone back and watched their games, and I was seven when it happened. But <laughs> yeah. I was I was between those other three teams that you mentioned as well, and I think I'm going to kind of leave out the '11 Packers, and I think I'm between. I initially was thinking the '07 Patriots, but as mm-hmm. I think about it more, the, the Vikings had a much better run game than the, those Patriots did. I, yeah. I uh, I mean the the Patriots did run a lot better then than they do now, but yep. uh, I but I think I will go with the Patriots and the, the common denominator of those two teams is Randy Moss. Yeah, and and he's really the only player that we've seen that can just go deep every game and it works, like you said, and mm-hmm. and that's that's the difference between that team and any of the other great offenses of all time is they had him on them. Yeah, um, and Randy Moss in his prime is about as dangerous as it gets. So oh yeah, I'm and Tom Brady to me, although they didn't have as good of a run game. They had Tom Brady, who's you know arguably the best quarterback of all time. So sure. I agree with you there. Oh, seven Patriots. I mean, they went sixteen and zero, and their defense wasn't <laughs> great. So you can't argue with that. Yeah, and I guess one thing I will say for the for the '98 Vikings, who I would definitely agree is number two on that list, but the Packers at the time had a top had the best player in the NFL, arguably. I mean, you could say for Terrell Davis or Randy Moss were there too, but Brett Favre was still at the top of his game. They had Reggie White in one of the best years of his career. They had a Offense and defense, who had been both number one two years prior and were in the Super Bowl the year before and were still top five in both categories, and you felt like they were Baylor playing at Oklahoma trying to stop that Viking team. It just, how are we going to score enough points? We have Reggie White and Leroy Butler and some great, great players on defense. We have Fritz Shermer, we have Brett Favre, we have Antonio Freeman, Robert Brooks, and we can't compete with these guys. And Good thing it went away after one year, but um, I think maybe that team scares me more than any team in NFL history. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yep. Throw the 2000 Rams in there for honorable mention, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were very, very good. Okay, here's kind of a morbid subject, but I thought it would be interesting if you could get into some bigger uh, discussion. How many more championships do you reasonably expect the Packers to win the rest of our lives? Wow, I mean, it's it's really hard to look that far into the future, but I, I mean, you would hope that they can get at least one more with Rodgers, mm-hmm. just by you know they're they're going to be at the top for the next five to seven years. You would think mm-hmm. that eventually one of these years they'll break through again and win it like they did in 2010. So I'll take one there. Um, so that puts us at what like 30, 30 to 35 years old. Yeah. So there's still hopefully a lot of time left. You would hope. 
But, uh, I mean, we've been blessed with good quarterbacks for the last 20 years, so you would kind of think that luck might run out a little bit after Rodgers retires. I'm going to say... I'm going to say two more total okay? because I think we get one more in the Rodgers era and then have to wait a little while after that. And maybe we get some glorious Super Bowl championship when we're like 50 or 60 years old. <laughs> so I'll say two. So go out on a, well, hopefully not going out at 50. I was going to say going out on a high note, but I want to live a little bit longer than that. Yeah. This one is really tough because part of me is looking at the entire history of the NFL, which is this is the 90th season, I think. Uh no, um, the 75th was in 94. That would have been, what, 19 seasons ago? So we're at 94 or whatever. Um, 19, or the, the 2019 season, I think, will be the 100th season. The Packers have won 13 championships since 1920, and they have four more than everybody else. And so, you know, that's, and that's with two dynasties in there. I think things have, have, kind of gone down a little bit for them and for other teams as a whole, so I'm not as confident as you that they're going to get another Super Bowl with Rodgers, but as we were talking last year about how all but five of the NFC teams have gotten a turn in the Super Bowl in the last since the year 2000, I think you're probably never going to see another Packer dynasty in all likelihood, but the odds are they're going to get more weird chances just with a team that's 9-7 and seven and makes a run at the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I'll say I'll say more than two. I think they could get three or four more in our lifetime. Um, hopefully it's four. I think um, I don't know when they're going to happen, but I think I'm just playing the odds here that they'll have that many, and I think almost everybody else will have at least a couple by by the time our story's been written. Sure. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's it's so hard to to guess on that one, but I I wouldn't be surprised if you know if it was if it was one, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was you know six or seven. So hopefully, hopefully it's, it's more like the 37, 38. Yeah, that's probably most likely. Yeah. Alright, so that wraps it up for another edition of Crossfire, and uh, if you ever have a Crossfire question, you can send it our way. I hope nobody had one in the queue that we just forgot to get to. If so, we apologize, and send us a reminder, we'll, we'll stick it in in our next Crossfire segment. Uh, so now, the Packers are trying to get above 500 for the first time this year. It feels like this time of year, the last couple years, has been a, quite a struggle to kind of get the momentum going for the season, but hopefully they can get a real big win out in Baltimore and I know we kind of talked about it before, Matt, but sh- should we make our predictions here for what we think is going to happen? Sure, and I can go ahead here. I um I think that the Packers win this one, and I th- I think it has a similar feel to the Redskins game. I think that they kind of pull away early. Washington might score a couple of points towards the end of the game to make it look close, but I think that the Packers at this point are quite a bit better than Baltimore has looked. So I think the defense slows down that offense, which is pretty one-dimensional. So I'm I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say 31 to 20 with a garbage touchdown from Baltimore. Oh, I wish I was as confident as you were. Um, I think with Clay Matthews being out, I get really scared that Joe Flacco is going to become playoff Joe Flacco, and then mm-hmm. everybody will talk about how the Ravens are back and they're going to sure. run Denver down again. Um, I guess I don't know how good that defense is, so I think that running game is going again. They're on the road. Maybe their backs are against the wall. They've lost four or five straight road games now, so you'd think they'd want to start changing that pretty soon. I think it's like you. If they're going to win, they're going to have to get ahead early and then hold on for dear life, and I think this one they'll finally be able to do it. 
I will say 27-23. Okay. All right, so I guess that wraps it up. I don't have anything else. Do you, Matt? No, I got nothing. Okay, so hopefully the Packers are able to either... I, I guess I don't care if they fulfill one of our scenarios. Just go out and beat the Ravens is all I really care about. So until next week, uh, Matt and Eau Claire, I'm in Oshkosh. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, you can go to our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast. You can leave a comment under our uh, the podcast right here that you're listening to on our Podbean page, which is www.greengoldforever, that's the number four, .podbean.com. Uh, and also uh, a good way to catch up on all the shows. I know I released a bonus episode this last week, and I, I didn't have it on the Facebook page, is... You can click a button on the side of the Podbean page to subscribe to iTunes, uh, and then the podcast will actually automatically load on your iTunes if you have it uh, hooked up to the Internet. So it's actually, which who the hell doesn't have a computer hooked up to the Internet? What, is this 1995? <laughs> but anyways, it's, it's kind of nice, unless you're me and you subscribe to a bunch of different podcasts, and then you're excited because you see a new one and it's just ours. Um, but I'm sure, you know, everybody else is hopefully excited to, to see anything new from us. But it's a really cool feature, so if, if you're uh, into getting podcasts uh, directly to your iTunes, I would suggest doing that. It's, it's very easy. You just have to click one button on the, on the Podbean page. So until next week, I don't have anything else. Neither does Matt. So enjoy this next week of NFL football, and uh, take care, everyone.